Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. It is a huge week in college football. The new committee rankings are out tonight. A lot of my ballots for national and ACC awards were recently due or are due soon. We have big games to look forward to Friday and Saturday as conference titles are on the line everywhere you look. Our next guest sees these things and more as an analyst on college football for ESPN and the SEC Network and Sirius XM. He's a former national championship quarterback himself for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Greg McElroy, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. How are you? What's up, DG? How you doing, brother? I'm doing great. Uh, before we get to these matchups and the committee rankings, uh, the Heisman Trophy, or I just voted for him in the Maxwell Award balloting, is it really LSU quarterback Joe Burrow and then a huge gap to everybody else? And if so, what can you share about his story through your eyes as an ex-quarterback? Because, you know, he went from one of those guys in transfer limbo to seemingly inches from the Heisman Trophy. Well, it's crazy, man. I mean, I, I remember watching him last year in the first eight games. Uh, I think even Ed Ogeron would tell you this <laughs> because we did their game a couple weeks ago and I asked him, I said, coach, I got to be honest. I was, I was always kind of the mindset that Joe's solid, but maybe not spectacular. And then sure enough, fast forward to this year and really the last couple games of last year, the seven overtime thriller against Texas A&M. And then obviously what he's done throughout the course of the season, it's, it's truly been remarkable. I think he's the most improved player I've ever scouted. Or evaluated and not sure it's really even close Wow! Uh, to have gone from way off the radar and to having a sixth round grade, according to the NFL draft experts to now being mentioned as the potential number one overall is truly insane. So he, he has been spectacular and, and there's so many things that he does. Well, he's very accurate with the football. He throws guys open. He moves in the pocket. That's probably his best attribute that doesn't get enough attention with how he moves in the pocket. And, yeah, I think it's a runaway for sure. Um, I don't care if he goes out and throws five picks this weekend. He's number one on my list uh, without question because he's been the most outstanding player in college football. He's the only guy that you can point to so far that through a 12-game regular season has not had one bad outing. Uh, it really has been remarkable to watch, and you know, I think he's a deserving winner of what should be the 2019 Heisman. Greg McElroy is joining us. He's on Twitter, at Greg McElroy. Find him all over ESPN and the SEC Network and SiriusXM. We are excited here in ACC country to go to Charlotte, but I can't honestly, sincerely say that I have much doubt about who's going to win between Clemson and UVA. Whereas in SEC country, I wonder your thoughts. You know, I think Big Ten fans as well would be shocked if Wisconsin beat Ohio State. And yet at the SEC title game, you have that Joe Burrow guy leading maybe the best offense in the entire country, but the opponent is Kirby Smart in Georgia and maybe the best defense in the entire country. How close is that one in your eyes, and, and who's your pick if you've made one to win it? Well, I like LSU to win, um, but I get to resemble that of the game last year. I would not at all be surprised that this is by far the most stressful 60 minutes of LSU's season. If you look at how Auburn's defense played against LSU, they held them to 23 points, and if Auburn had any offense whatsoever that day, they might have had a chance to pull off the outright upset in Baton Rouge. Last year, this game felt a little similar. Remember last year, Alabama was coming in, this potent offense that nobody had the answers for, 
And next thing you know, Alabama's in an absolute dogfight. Tua Tagovailoa gets hurt. Next thing you know, Jalen Hurts comes in and saves the day. And Alabama was a two-touchdown favorite going into that game. Now the spread isn't quite as drastic in favor of LSU. I believe they're hovering around a touchdown. But I think Georgia's defense can keep them in it. So much has been made, too, about Georgia's offense and the ineptitude of their passing game. But if you look at Jake Fromm in his game against Auburn, which is one of the best defenses in college football, things didn't go great. But if you look at his game against Florida, he threw for almost 300 yards and a couple touchdowns and made some pivotal throws to put that game on ice. So I think Jake Fromm is probably going to play his best game of the season this week, and I'd be surprised if he didn't. He'll be a little shorthanded at wide receiver. One of his best receivers, Pickens, got in a fight last week. He's going to miss the first half. And his other best wide receiver, Lawrence Cager, transferred from Miami. He's out being sidelined with an injury for the foreseeable future. So he is going to be a little shorthanded with the wide receivers available. But uh, I think George is going to keep it close and at least put a scare in LSU. But eventually that offense can be too difficult to stop, and, and they'll pull away in the second half. We all know that the only committee rankings that ultimately matter will be the next ones after tonight. Uh, But we do read tea leaves week to week, and it gets more and more important with each passing week, you know, how these teams reflect in in the uh, rankings. What are you most intrigued to see tonight from the committee and why? Well, I got to be honest. I actually would disagree with you. I think this week might be the most interesting. Um but not necessarily as it pertains to the top four. If you look at the top four, that's still yet to be determined. Are you going to go with Utah? Are you going to go with Baylor? Are you going to go with Oklahoma? They're in the four spot if chalk flies this weekend and the favorites win. We'll find that out on Sunday. Right. But what I'm really interested in finding out, what's the pecking order for some of the New Year's Six Bowl games? That's why this week, I think, is fascinating. Maybe not as it pertains to the ACC, because I think the only thing that's going to change is that Virginia Tech's going to fall out and Virginia's going to find themselves in the top 25, probably around 22, 23, and that vicinity maybe as high as 19 or 20. Uh, so that'll be something interesting for ACC fans. I know it's a vast majority of your listeners, but in the SEC in particular, where's Florida relative to Alabama, relative to Auburn? Because the highest-ranked non-SEC college football or sec college football playoff non-qualifier will be georgia more than likely if they lose this weekend they'll find their way to the sugar bowl but then the pecking order gets really interesting if florida's ahead of alabama they might find themselves in the orange bowl against virginia and alabama might find themselves in the cotton bowl against uh the group of five champion whether it be memphis or boise state and then uh auburn could fall the way to the citrus bowl even though they beat alabama head to head so auburn's ahead of alabama which Mm. is possible probably unlikely but possible they might find themselves in the new year's six and alabama might tumble all the way to the citrus bowl so there are really interesting aspects of tonight's rankings uh but just not as much uh, as it would be on sunday when we're trying to find out who's going to the college football playoff one thing i'm curious about tonight and i wonder your thoughts either as they stand right now or even if we play the hypothetical game uh this coming sunday oklahoma at 11 and 1 clearly has wins over higher quality opponents than Utah has beaten at 11-1. and one. But Utah clearly has dominated people in ways that Oklahoma has not. If it ends up being the 12-1 and one Big 12 champion Oklahoma and the 12-1 and one Pac-12 champion Utah, how do you 
split that baby. I mean, Utah would be adding, of course, its best win to the season if they take out Oregon. But Oklahoma has several top 25 wins. And as of right now, Utah, despite its dominance of its opponents, doesn't have a single win over somebody I would expect to see in the top 25 tonight. Yeah, I think that's going to be a really interesting question for the committee, too. Uh, If I were to pick one or the other, I would lean Utah because of the consistency that they've displayed. Now, they also have that loss to USC, but I can point to a couple factors as to why they lost that game. One, it was on the road. Two, it was on a Friday night. Three, their best player got hurt in the second quarter and was unavailable the rest of the game. Running back Zach Moss is one of the best running backs in college football. So I would lean towards Utah, even though their resume is not quite as impressive, because we've seen dominance from them, like you alluded to. With Oklahoma, it's quarter to quarter. One quarter might be dominant, the next quarter might be atrocious. And it's kind of been a little bit of a roller coaster ride all year long. The best example being Baylor, where they look awful in the first half, can't take care of the football, offense in shambles. And then next thing you know, the second half comes around and they play their best football. You look at the first three quarters against Iowa State, very dominant. Iowa State in the fourth quarter, though, has Oklahoma on the ropes with a two-point conversion attempt. They come up short in, but if they get it, they win the game. So Oklahoma has been way too inconsistent for my liking. So when compared against the two, I think I can guarantee a better performance from Utah. Uh, But Oklahoma certainly does have the resume, even though it took a bit of a hit last week, because Oklahoma State, who was at 21 last week, likely to fall out of the top 25. And Iowa State lost to Kansas State, moving them to 7-5. and So they're likely to fall out of the top 25 as well. So uh, the Big 12 took a bit of a hit. But like you said, the win over Baylor this week and in the eyes of the committee is likely to be stronger and the win by Utah over Oregon. So it's going to be a really interesting conversation. If you go eye test, do you go resume? Do you go most deserving? Do you go tougher conference? Do you go more non, more out of conference? A lot of factors in play. But if I were in the committee room and both those teams win convincingly this weekend, uh, I would lean towards Utah. Last thing for Greg McElroy joining us on the David Glenn Show. When you think of the Power 5 title games coming up Friday and Saturday, and just put you just contemplate the underdog, you know, Wisconsin against Ohio State or, or the UVA taking on Clemson, Georgia, uh, the underdog to LSU. Then you'd have Baylor, the underdog to Oklahoma and Oregon, I assume, will be an underdog to Utah. Which of those dogs would you give the best shot at just, you know, not getting chalk out of this week, upsetting the apple cart and, and getting that conference title? I think Baylor. You know, I think Baylor is one of those teams that we saw their best stuff against Oklahoma in the first half of that football game. They've played them. Uh, Other teams are also experiencing rematches this weekend, for instance, Ohio State against Wisconsin. But Ohio State made quick work of Wisconsin the last time. We haven't seen Virginia and Clemson, but I don't know anybody uh, that feels real good about the Who's chances this weekend, even though I've been very impressed with what they've done this season there in Charlottesville. Uh, I think Georgia is a team that, I need. I just need to feel better about their passing game. I think they have a chance for sure. Uh, but knowing DeAndre Swift's a little banged up, hurt his shoulder last week. There are some. There are more question marks right now around Georgia's health and lack of availability from some key playmakers. So I think it's gonna be really tough for them to pull the upset. Their defense got to score once at least and probably forced the short field a couple times for them to stay in that game. Uh, and then uh, I look at Baylor, man, and they had Oklahoma on the ropes. Yeah. And they probably are kicking themselves with how they played in the second half of that football game. And they would anticipate Matt Rule, who's one of the best head coaches in America, would anticipate him having a great plan and and, uh, giving Oklahoma all they want. Well done. 
A belated happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. We always appreciate your visits here on the David Glenn Show. Follow Greg McElroy on Twitter at Greg McElroy, and of course, catch him everywhere, including ESPN. Thanks for the visit, man. Keep up the good work. Thanks again, DG. Talk to you soon, brother. You got it. 1-800-849-2761. College hoops, NFL, college football. The Canes trip to Boston to take on the Bruins tonight. That was an ugly series from the Carolina perspective as the dream season came to an end in the playoffs at the hand of the Boston Bruins, who, as we speak, have the best record in the National Hockey League. You have a question or comment about the Canes, about the NBA, about the college football playoff committee rankings, about the bowl picture. Although, don't get too crazy with your hypotheticals. About our votes nationally and closer to home on player of the year and coach of the year and freshman of the year and other things. The ACC Big Ten Challenge is an awesome treat for anybody who loves college basketball. Six games tonight, including Michigan at Louisville. They're both undefeated. Number four Wolverines at the number one Cardinals. And then in the nightcap, also on ESPN, it'll be Duke 7-1 and one at Michigan State, which started the season number one overall. A fantastic matchup. Two of them, really. I'd argue four of the top ten teams in the country are going head-to-head -head tonight as part of the ACC Big Ten Challenge in those matchups. Tomorrow night, more good matchups. Ohio State visiting the Tar Heels. UVA goes to Purdue. NC State hosts Wisconsin and Wake Forest heads to Penn State. 1-800-849-2761. One quick reminder about Duke, Michigan State. It was the Spartans who eliminated the Blue Devils during March Madness last year. How did the Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, Cam Reddish, how can you lose with three lottery picks on your side? Some were asking. Others were saying, well, how can you win if all of your best players are true freshmen? Well, Duke certainly had a good season, very good, as de demonstrated in a lot of different ways. But it came crashing to an end in the Elite Eight at the hands of Tom Izzo and Michigan State. And Zion and RJ and Cam and the rest uh, moved on with only, in air quotes, a trip to the Elite Eight as their one and only trip to the NCAA tournament. 1-800-849-2761. More college hoops, more NFL, and more of your phone calls. The question of the day, I think we've gotten most of them in already. Since Flutie Flakes are back... 20 years after their debut as a breakfast cereal. Yes, Doug Flutie and his Flutie Flakes are returning. The anniversary boxes are not expected to sell 2 to 3 million the way they did 20 years ago. We asked, what's the best food or beverage you've ever had that was actually named after a sports figure? A lot of today's nominees have only mythical connections to sports figures. But Arnold Palmer, the beverage is a great one of the best answers to the question of the day so far. And we've gotten some creative ones from other breakfast cereals to candy bars to the Rothless Burger, which is still available at a restaurant in Pittsburgh. The Ditka Dog, still available at Mike Ditka's restaurant in Chicago. The Chipper Bar and the Reggie Bar actually existed to honor some of the better baseball players of those times. 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket in to the David Glenn Show. He's the UVA head basketball coach, Tony Bennett. You always believed in us. I guess you were the wind beneath our wings. There you go. How's that? <laughs> Do we but, have uh, background music? That's for right. That? That's Matt Midler. There we go. You are the wind Keep it right here on the David Glenn Show. Thank you. 
Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. We're talking NFL, college hoops, the ACC Big Ten Challenge really ramps up tonight. There were two games last night. One went to the ACC, one went to the Big Ten. The Atlantic Coast Conference has won 12 of the 20 ACC Big Ten Challenges contested to this point. The Big Ten won five. The three others ended in a tie. So it's tied at one tonight. The two heavyweight matchups are Michigan at Louisville and Duke at Michigan State. They're both on national TV. Y'all know if you listen to this show regularly, I believe the Cardinals and the Blue Devils give the ACC their best chance at national prominence again this year. I do believe UVA could become that. I do believe UNC could become that. I think Florida State and Notre Dame and even NC State and others, Virginia Tech is better than I thought it would be. There's a lot worth watching when it comes to the ACC and basketball. But among those I see as right now having enough potential to end up in a Final Four or make a run at a national title, you know I feel that way about Duke for reasons we've discussed more. You get a chance to see Louisville tonight. Now, they have the number one ranking, so it's not like my optimism is unique. But they're 7-0, and and they have a blend of talent, experience, depth, and I think a good coach in Chris Mack that I put right up there. You could put them 1A ahead of Duke at 1B. You could put them at 1B behind Duke at 1A, whatever. They're the two best teams in the ACC. That does not mean I think they're indestructible. Now, I certainly didn't pick Stephen F. Austin to go to Duke and beat the Blue Devils. Nobody did. I would not pick Louisville to, you know, go 20-0 and before they suffer their first loss. I don't think anybody's going to come close to an undefeated conference record. Nobody's that good in college basketball this year. But in terms of promise, as we go to Kevin in Wilmington, who has a question I've gotten a lot about the ACC football bowl destination, so we'll get to his question quickly because I think he's asking it on behalf of a lot of people who are wondering. George in Burlington wants in as well. Canes are at Boston tonight to face the Bruins. The NBA offers the Luka Doncic show tonight. That second-year Dallas superstar is on TNT this evening as part of a doubleheader. Dallas at New Orleans. If you haven't seen him and you're an NBA fan so far this year, I mean, he was good as a rookie, just spectacular as a second-year player for the Mavericks. 1-800-849-2761. Hockey, NBA, college football, NFL, and the ACC Big Ten Challenge. If you haven't seen Louisville, here's what to look for as we come to Kevin in Wilmington, George in Burlington, and you with your question or comment at 1-800-849-2761. As I was talking about UVA and UNC not having enough offensive diversity, you can go a long way carried by two or three players. But what happened to Duke last year when Michigan State eliminated them in the Elite Eight? Among other things that happened to the Blue Devils, Everybody knew that every important possession was going to Zion Williamson or R.J. Barrett. And when others needed to deliver, they couldn't deliver. There is, of course, a big positive to having two of the best players in the country on your side. Unless their teammates get used to the idea of catching a kick out when inevitably Zion or RJ are double teamed, unless those guys are well-trained at doing something positive with the ball when those kickouts come. And of course, Zion and RJ had to be well-trained at finding those open men as well. And Coach K will tell you that he thought lost practice time last year when Zion was out with his post-exploding shoe injury 
really cost the Blue Devils. Who knows if they would have won it all? You know, the Duke haters are going to say that that's just excuses. Others will say it's an explanation. Wherever you fall on that, I think it's fair to say all teams are better with more practice time together. And whether you're UVA or UNC, where you just don't have enough dudes yet, Cole Anthony and Garrison Brooks and Armando Baycott need more help. Mamadi Diakite and Kihei Clark and Jay Huff need more help. You can be good if you don't round out your rotation. You cannot and will not win it all unless you round out your rotation and your offensive diversity. Duke already has some of that, especially when healthy. Cassius Stanley is dealing with an injury right now. Trey Jones outside, Vernon Carey inside, and we'll see how far the rest of the rotation comes along. Louisville is the best example of already having the combination of talent and depth and experience that you need to make a run at an NCAA title. If you haven't seen him much, Jordan Wara is the preseason ACC basketball player of the year. He could have turned pro, might have been a first-round NBA pick, decided to stay, and here he is, a returning all-ACC player. Of the 15 dudes who earned that recognition last year, only two are back. John Mooney at Notre Dame and Jordan Wara at Louisville. That's just how the world works nowadays. The seniors, of course, left by rule, but all the underclassmen that got those all-ACC honors decided to turn pro early, except for Jordan Wara back for his junior year at Louisville and John Mooney, the big guy, back for his senior year at Notre Dame. So Wara is the superstar, and he may be the ACC player of the year. We'll see if a, a Vernon Carey or a Cole Anthony or a Trey Jones or somebody can make a run uh, against him or somebody else even. But it's not just Jordan Wara. They have a UNC Asheville transfer named Dwayne Sutton. And, and think about this. In the year 2019, Louisville will probably run out there. If you watch 7-0 Michigan, national number four, visit number one Louisville, also with a 7-0 record, 7.30 tonight on ESPN. If you watch that game, you may see the Cardinals run out a starting lineup that consists of four seniors and a junior. You just do not see this very often in college basketball anymore. And dudes can play. It's one thing to have experience. It's another thing to have experience that can play. And in the case of the Louisville Cardinals, Chris Mack has been starting. Junior Jordan Wara at one of the forward spots. He's kind of a wing player. Senior Dwayne Sutton that I just mentioned at another forward spot. Senior three-point specialist Ryan McMahon kind of at wing guard. Senior center Stephen Enoch, who's one of the better shot blockers and rebounders in the entire league, and junior point guard Darius Perry. That's two juniors who have played a lot of ball for Louisville, three seniors who have played a lot of ball for Louisville, and even some of their other rotation players are returnees. Malik Williams has been hurt, but he's a really talented young big man in his junior year. When healthy, you add somebody like him to the rotation. That's seven juniors and seniors that are helping a lot. One of them, a transfer from St. Joe's named Fresh Kimball, one of the coolest nicknames in college basketball, Fresh. He was a leader and a captain on the St. Joe's team last year under uh, Phil Martelli, now an assistant coach at Michigan, so it'll be a kind of homecoming as Michigan's Wolverines visit the Louisville Cardinals. Fresh Kimball now suiting up for Louisville. 1-800-849-2761. There's a lot of talent, a lot of depth, and a lot of experience for Chris Mack 
and that's why I have them all the way up there with Duke in the ACC and only a half a dozen others nationally when you're trying to project who has the best shot at making a run in March Madness. Kevin in Wilmington wants to shift it a little bit to college football. Welcome to the David Glenn Show. Go right ahead. Hey, Dave. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. First, on your question of the day, I, I, I've been to two great restaurants in Myrtle Beach. That, that was Sam Sneed's. And uh, Greg Norman. Oh, cool! But I I can't remember if they had a dish named after him, but I'm sure they <laughs> probably did. The, the <laughs> shark has everything named after him. He usually slaps a logo on it and doubles the price. Not that there's <laughs> anything wrong with that, but uh, he's pretty good at uh, making himself a commodity. That's for sure. Well, I know that uh, the 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 six bowl games, uh, the rose, the sugar, the orange, and uh, the cotton, and the fiesta, and uh, yeah, I can't remember the other one. But I know they rotate the playoffs. Right. But um, what you're saying and what Greg said was that uh, the Orange is going to have to take uh, an 8-4 Virginia team that may not even be ranked after Saturday. Um, and uh, that just... Well, you're, you're right. It requires further explanation, and I'm glad you called. Now, if Virginia loses to Clemson, as expected, they still would be 9-4. and four. So, so they're 9-3 and three right now, which is the second-best record of any ACC team behind only 12-0 and 0 Clemson. Here's how the rules work, and, and you might want to put yourself in the shoes of, say, the Orange Bowl Selection Committee, because here's how it works. Let's just all assume Clemson beats UVA Saturday night at Bank of America Stadium. I believe there is a 99% chance of that happening. So the Cavaliers lose. They're 9-4. and four. The way the rules work, and it'll be intriguing to see where 9-3 and three Virginia is in the college football playoff committee rankings that come out tonight. Because remember, the only other ACC schools in the top tw- uh, school in the top 25 a week ago was Virginia Tech, which just lost to UVA head-to-head. The Cavaliers finally put an end to that 15-game losing streak to the Hokies. So we know the Hokies almost certainly will fall out of the top 25. But 9-3 and three UVA, the Coastal Division champion, after a win over top 25 at the time, Virginia Tech, probably almost certainly leaps into the top 25. Now, where will they be? 18, 20, 22? I don't know. But watch tonight where the Cavaliers are. Here's how the rules work, and this is really important. Clemson, of course, would be off to the college football playoff at 13-0 in the ACC champion. If UVA is in the committee top 25 when they unveil that this coming Sunday after all the conference championship games. Remember, losing to Clemson is an expected loss. So if the Cavs are 21 tonight, they might stay in the top 25 despite losing to Clemson. If they are in the committee's top 25, the Orange Bowl must take no discretion. They must take the Virginia Cavaliers the highest-ranked ACC team in the committee rankings. If nobody from the ACC besides Clemson is in the committee rankings, top 25 this coming Sunday, then the Orange Bowl gets its pick of a bowl-eligible ACC team. So what are the odds? I think the odds are UVA stays in the top 25 even if they lose to Clemson. But if they fall out, things could get interesting. The question would become, who's more desirable than a 9-4 and four UVA team whose fan base is cracked, just cranked up, not only about this trip to Charlotte and, you know, a why-not shot at the Clemson Tigers. You know, you, you know you're probably going to lose, but what the heck, have some fun, see how it turns out. But that fan base 
I believe UVA has been to one major bowl in the history of its football program. So if you're the person who runs the Orange Bowl, you're thinking, man, it's the Coastal champ. Eight and four Virginia Tech is the next best record along with eight and four Wake Forest in the ACC. Am I really going to take Virginia Tech over UVA? Am I really going to take a Wake Forest over UVA? UVA would be nine and four Coastal champs with a motivated football fan base that I think would gobble up tickets to the second major bowl in the history of UVA football in impressive numbers. I think the uh, the Cavaliers once went to, you know, a sugar or a cotton or something. This is their second ever if it happens. Yeah, the Cavs played in the Sugar Bowl. I just found it in 1991. So this is like once in a generation. If you ran the Orange Bowl, and on this coming Sunday, you saw no ACC teams ranked beyond Clemson, and that meant you had, you got your pick. Who could possibly be a more desirable pick than the Cavaliers ends up being the question? Well, um, my other question is uh, the Cotton Bowl. Do they have a tie-in with Big 12, which has 10 um, teams? So, you know, if Oklahoma or Baylor goes to the playoff, or if they don't, aren't they taking uh, the Big 12 champ? The, co- the Cotton, did you say you said the Cotton, right? The Cotton's going to have yeah. at-large teams this year. Uh, one scenario, uh, you know, we talk a lot about the group of five. You know, App State, we wish was the best of the group of five in the eyes of the committee. It's probably not going to work out that way. Uh, the Cotton this year is going to end up taking that group of five representative, like right now it might be Memphis of the American. It could be Boise of the Mountain West. They're both one-loss teams that if they win this coming weekend, they'll be conference champions with only one loss. Uh, So it would be either Memphis or Boise State. We'll see. They have to win, and then that would come down to those two probably uh, against like a Florida or another at-large team. So I'm not sure about the rest of your Cotton Bowl question, but there's one of the likely matchups in Arlington, Texas at the Cotton Bowl. It is extraordinarily unlikely that we'll see anything other than the Clemson Tigers playing in Atlanta probably in the, the semifinals of the college football playoff and then UVA heading to Miami to play, who knows, maybe like in Alabama. UVA Alabama in the Orange Bowl on December 30th. That would be an interesting challenge for the Cavaliers. Appreciate the call, Kevin. 1-800-849-2761. George is in Burlington and next on the David Glenn Show. Welcome. Hey, Dave. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Sure, man. I got a question about the college football playoffs. Why hasn't the committee or the NCAA come out and say only one team per from the conference from each conference? Yeah, because th- you're hearing about you know Georgia and LSU. You know, if Georgia wins, Georgia's in, LSU will be in. What incentive does LSU have to win that game? Well, because, you know, coaches and players and human beings are not thinking in terms of, you know, the SEC's payday as a conference when they've poured their blood and sweat and tears into a 12-0 and record. I see what you're saying. Like, if there was a, a god of the Southeastern Conference, a puppet master in the sky, 
and they knew that if Georgia just edged LSU in the SEC title game, they'd both get spots in the Final Four, and that's great for your league's image, and that's great for your league's finances. I see where your question is coming from, and I respect that. But you also know that competitive human beings who pour literally like a year of their life into getting to this point, they're not thinking about their conference. They're not thinking about who gets how many millions. They're thinking about if you're the LSU Tigers, you know, this is my one and only chance to follow through on a still undefeated season. And, and that is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. So I don't think we have to worry about conspiracies of that sort. To get back to your original question, I think the bottom line answer for why that rule does not exist is think about how and why it took us so long to come up with a playoff format to begin with. The, the NCAA, remember, does throw the party we call March Madness. College basketball's postseason is governed by the NCAA. College football's FBS postseason is not, N-O-T, not governed by the NCAA. It's an agreement among the conferences at the FBS level. The NCAA chooses sites for March Madness and flies people all over the place. It is in their budget. Their number one revenue stream is the money they get from Turner Sports and CBS. I mean, by far, if you looked at the NCAA's budget, like 90% plus of their revenue is a single event, the NCAA Division I men's basketball tournament. They run it, they throw it, they get the money, they're responsible for the expenses, etc. This college football playoff thing is not an NCAA enterprise, and that means for it to have happened after decades of people calling for it, remember, and it didn't happen, you had to make everybody happy. What's one of my favorite sayings? A camel is a horse created by a committee. You don't have a college football playoff unless you make enough people with votes happy about the format that you're coming up with. And if you're the SEC, which often has multiple candidates to be in the top four, if you're the SEC, are you signing on the bottom line for a format where they say, hey, only one team per conference? Hell no, you're not. And if you're one of these movers and shakers, you're a power broker trying to get, you need everybody to sign on the dotted line. Why did we go most of my lifetime without a college football playoff even though most college football fans were calling for one for decades since I was a kid. Well, because nobody could find the format that enough people would say yes to. And the other part of it is and NCAA chancellors and, chancellors and presidents of universities that play FBS-level football had philosophical reservations about adding one more or two more games for too many schools in a very violent sport like football, where we all know what the concussion research and, and other details tell us about the nature of playing that sport and the toll it takes on your body and, in some cases, your brain. So they went from all these philosophical reservations, you know, this is the one sport that we just can't keep adding to the, the, the number of games played and the number of times these young men are at risk. And then all of a sudden, the economic downturn of 2008 came, and those same presidents and chancellors, seriously, if you want to really understand how and why a playoff came about, it was university presidents and chancellors got scared 
about their university endowments going down because of the economic downturn and their revenue streams, including the athletic department, going down because of the economic downturn. And then they called their TV partners back and said, hey, all those years you were telling us about how, how much you'd pay us for a football playoff, what were those numbers again? How many mega millions was it? Because we're now open to that suggestion. So now we have the playoff, but even though chancellors and presidents were ready to sign off because of the increased revenue, you still needed commissioners and power brokers to say, all right, we'll do it under these terms. And that's how you ended up throwing a bone to the group of five, right? One group of five team ends up in a New Year's Six Bowl game, so you threw a bone to the group of five. Well, how are you going to keep the power five leagues happy? The SEC as the best conference most years in college football was never in a million years going to agree to any format where there was a ceiling of one team per conference. And why would they? They'd be the one most hurt by that rule, so they wouldn't agree to it. And just like, man, it took forever to get the Pac-12 and the Big 12 off the idea that for like, what, a century, the Pac-12 champion had played the Big 10 champion in the Rose Bowl. And that was another obstacle. And you had to come up again, the horse, the camel is a horse created by committee. All right, well, there's this rule that when the Big 12, when the Big 10 and the Pac-10 or Pac-12 champions can still be matched, still in the Rose Bowl in certain years, when their team champions aren't taken away to the playoff, you know, they still have that sort of Rose Bowl asterisk as part of the new rules. It took a lot of arm twisting and corner cutting and okay we'll we'll leave this rule in we'll leave that rule out otherwise we still wouldn't have a college football playoff and the sec in particular would have been i mean seriously it would have been an angry mob if somehow some way they put a lid on the number of teams per conference that could make that final four 1-800-849-2761 in the end you're left with the question do you Want a playoff badly enough that you accept it, even though some details bother you? Ultimately, the answer was yes. And the college football playoff is that camel created by that committee. We're back after this on the David Glenn Show. I made a reference to Mike Krzyzewski of Duke and his GOAT status. And I kid you not, I got angry emails. If I really wanted to insult somebody, I would include some kind of sentence about being in the bleeping prairie chewing on grass. This is The David Glenn Show. Welcome back to The David Glenn Show. Lines open and last call for phone calls at 1-800-849-2761. Y'all know what's on my TV menu tonight. I usually save that for coming down the stretch. But Michigan at Louisville is must-see TV for college basketball fans. Duke-Michigan State is must-see TV. That's your ESPN doubleheader tonight. NBA fans, you get more of the Luka Doncic show. It's a TNT doubleheader. Dallas visits New Orleans. Unfortunately, no Zion Williamson. He remains out for the Pelicans with his injury. 
and Portland visits the LA Clippers in the nightcap there. 1-800-849-2761. It is a TV menu item of sorts, although not a game. At 7 o'clock, ESPN will offer the college football playoff revised top 25. We'll see whether Utah is above Oklahoma in the battle of the one-loss resumes or vice versa. In all likelihood, Georgia will stay at number four. The best one-loss resume, Baylor, also 11-1, remember, will be the lowest of those one-loss resumes. Bottom line, there are seven teams that have realistic roads to the Final Four. I mean, foreseeable realistic roads. The three unbeatens, Ohio State, LSU, and Clemson, probably in that order, again, in the committee's eyes tonight. And then Georgia at number four. Utah and Oklahoma in whatever order, maybe at five and six. And then the Baylor Bears may not even be number seven although I think they have a more direct road to a potential Final Four berth than some of those that may be ranked above them tonight. Why? Because Baylor plays again. The, number, the two lost teams that you may see above Baylor will not be playing this weekend. They're not in conference championship games. The 11-1 Baylor Bears get a rematch against the 11-1 Oklahoma Sooners in the Big 12 title game. Obviously, the loser falls by the wayside. The Big 12 champion has an argument. Might not get in. But if LSU beats Georgia, Georgia at two losses probably falls by the wayside. And then it's an argument over who's number four, assuming Ohio State, LSU, and Clemson continue their unbeaten seasons. 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket into the program. Darren, did you have any Flutie Flakes references to add, or have we polished off the menu from Ditka Dogs to Roethlisberger's? Uh, you get a Reggie bar or a chipper bar on the side. And when you wake up tomorrow morning, you can either have OVOs, Ocho Cinco's, or Flutie Flakes for breakfast with your milk. I've got another cereal nomination, although I've never tried it. I, I mean, you, you can guess how these taste. But uh, do you remember Coco Crisp? The yes. outfielder played uh, a large sure. portion of his career did with the Oakland A's. Did they make Cocoa Krispies? They did it at first as a ballpark Look promotion. So like the first however many fans to the ballpark got a box of Cocoa Crisp cereal. And it was just, you know, it mimicked Cocoa Krispies or, or something sure. along those lines. So you can guess how it tasted. Rice Krispies. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cho the chocolate version of Rice Krispies. And um, they, I think they continued that when he later was with the Boston Red Sox for that, that short period. They had a, a version of their Cocoa Crisp as well. So another serial nominee. 20 years ago, Doug Flutie started his foundation after talking with the former Buffalo quarterback Jim Kelly, who had created Hunter's Hope. So Jim Kelly's foundation supports research into childhood nervous system disorders, etc., Flutie got a $25,000 signing bonus with the Bills about 20 years ago and put it toward his new foundation to get it off the ground. It was 20 years ago that Flutie Flakes came out. Flutie had a great season and perfectly timed at that. They sold 2.3 million boxes of Flutie Flakes, and it is back as a breakfast cereal now on that 20th anniversary. Final thoughts and TV picks as we come down the stretch next. Dean in Wilmington, you're up on the David Glenn Show. The NCAA book on violations that say sick Superman has trouble carrying. This is true. However, it's not buried into the small print in the back that you're not allowed to drive luxury cars that aren't yours, okay? <laughs> Keep it here on the David Glenn Show.
We are coming down the stretch on today's program. And down the stretch Thanks to Mike DeCorsi of the Sporting News, Greg McElroy of ESPN for dropping by. Chaz Surratt of UNC will be among our guests tomorrow. TV picks, Canes at Bruins tonight, the TNT NBA doubleheader, and the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Enjoy the games. We'll see you tomorrow on the David Glenn Show. Mr. President, Barack Obama, welcome to the David Glenn Show. How are you? David, it's great to be on. It's wonderful to, to talk to the folks in North Carolina. I always say uh, I love the state of North Carolina, love the people of North Carolina. Even the folks who don't support me down there are nice to me. The David Glenn Show.